Hey guys, welcome to our podcast. It's called uh, Literature in Laws, and uh, me, Judah Cooper, and Daniel Kingsley are the hosts of this podcast. Say hi, Daniel. Hello. Daniel is my um, brother-in-law. Um, I'll give a brief sort of context to what our podcast is going to be, and then Daniel's going to talk about us a little bit more. But our podcast is supposed to be um, just a, a fun review of all sorts of literature. Uh, we kind of label it as um, brothers take a deep dive into the world of literature um, and explore everything in uh, relation to quality and content. Um, so, Daniel, any uh, expounding on that? I was just going to say we're going to be going through a lot of different genres, yeah. whether it's fiction, um, biographies, or um, monographs, just a lo- wide swath of literature. Yeah. Some of them will be like, oh, everyone knows that book. And some of them will be like, I've never heard of this until this week. Um, but it'll be fun. We'll just be doing whatever sparks our interest. And hopefully through engaging conversation, we'll um, have some productive um, thoughts and stuff. So Daniel, you want to go ahead and talk a little bit about yourself? Yeah. So I am currently in seminary I for an MDiv degree in biblical and theological studies. So there is a lot of reading that I have to do on a regular basis. Um, I had a college degree where I also had to do a lot of reading. <laughs> um, and so I love talking about books and Judah and I have had many, many discussions over books we've read, and we wanted to let other people in on these discussions as well. Yeah. Um, so, Daniel, uh, you originally went to Liberty University. Yes. Which is where... We were... Yeah. We grew up in the same... T- me and Judah grew up in the same town. And then we, you married my sister. So Yes, but before <laughs> that, we were roommates also. That's right. Um, so, when he was... Becca's, uh, my sister's fiance, it's the term. Um, uh, we roomed together for a semester at Liberty. Um, I'm currently finishing my degree at Liberty, which is, um, the long title is, uh, digital media and journalism, audio music recording and video production. And I'm minoring in Christian apologetics. Um, so having fun with that, got about a year left. Uh, but yeah, he, uh, married my sister and that's where the podcast name comes from literature in laws. Uh, thought it was a little kind of catchy and we're both absolutely huge fans of books um daniel you want to tell them how many you went through this year mm-hmm. i'd rather not brag okay that's fair uh we uh we kind of um keep up on good reads together um uh, and see what each other are reading and um keep busy so i'm a huge fan of thrift books if they ever can become a sponsor of us that would be appreciated um but yeah so let's go ahead and um daniel you want to kind of lay out what a typical podcast might look like Um, so if we are going through a fantasy or a fiction book, Mm -hmm. um, we will discuss the world that it creates, the setting, um, the characters, um, and then also the plot. And as some people have not read this book or they're, um, looking at this book for someone else. Um, we do have an appropriateness, appropriateness section where we'll, we will discuss, you know, what would things that a parent might be concerned or a teacher might be concerned if they are having, um, younger kids read this. Sure. And then after that, we will note that there will be spoilers upcoming for what the book will be doing. Um, 
we will at that point all hands no filters yep, all bets are off <laughs> yeah no filters for spoilers and so then we'll talk about what things about the book such as you know just discussion on like questions that we have about the book and just how that relates to our world yeah um and then we will also give our rating for the books and we'll remind you when we get there but we'll be rating out of on a scale of one to ten um a one being this was a complete absolute waste of time like i don't support Um, burning books typically but this might fit that category yeah that that's a one and then a 10 is this is a book that i have to reread every single year right um and then five is it was an okay book yep so that's our rating and we might smatter in a couple quotes yeah that's right so we'll try and give our rating before we give spoilers so that basically the idea is we'll split it into sort of two sections the first section is um you know if you're just trying to find a quick um, look online like oh do i want to read this book i don't want it spoiled you have a little bit of um, what's the content in regards to whether it's appropriate or not um, depending upon uh, your age and maturity level uh, you have a brief overview of characters the world and we'll also talk about like um, do we like the way that the author wrote um, do we like the writing style uh, you know first person second person third person some things like that and then um the second portion is when we'll dive into things like worldview and theme and um, spoilers are definitely going to happen there. So um, and that's going to that's going to change when we do things like, you know, a, a theology book or a nonfiction book of some kind. Like there are no spoilers in those typically <laughs> that I would be aware of. Um, all right. So the first book that we're going to be talking about is a, a modern one. It's a modern fiction book, sort of fantasy esque. Um, it's called Piranesi by Susanna Clarke came out in 2020 um, and it was the women's prize winner for fiction in 2021 and also a New York times bestseller. But you know, that's true of a lot of books, but sort of a newer popular fiction book um, looked pretty interesting and uh, was recommended by some people I like online. So we thought we'd give it a go. The world starts off with him in just this house with a whole bunch of rooms that have the three floors. Yep. There's the lower floor where the tides come in. Um, there's the main floor where there's, I would say, just normal, where there's no... And then there's the upper floor, which is where the clouds are and the right. rain. Um, and it's just these stone, basically, hallways and entrances that are just littered with statues. And they're just endless. Like it goes on forever and ever. There are some small areas you can see outside a window where there's like a courtyard, but the house is immediately after it. There's no, the world is the house. As I was looking up um, the name Piranesi, um, I came across this Italian artist named, um, I am going to butcher this, and I apologize to this person even though he's dead. Do you want me to try? Gianovi... Go for it, Judah. I believe it would be Giovanni Battista Piranesi. Much better than I did. <laughs> um, anyways, that person um, was an Italian architect and engraver, and he did a lot of architecture art. But what he is very famous for is that he made a collection of um, art, 
that he called an imaginary prison. Hmm. It's all enclosed and it's all like passages. Sure. Because like you're looking from passage to passage in it. And it seems that a lot of the inspiration for the setting of um, Piranesi, the book, comes from Piranesi, the artist. Okay. Yeah, she's sort of she's she's trying to craft this world. Um, like the first page has a quote from Magician's Nephew, a very popular mm-hmm. book, C.S. Lewis. Um, good one. You should go read it. Um, and she's trying to craft this world with uh, it's this house. The, the world is the house, and it's riddled with statues. And um, it it seems like a lot of them draw various inspiration from medieval Greco-Roman times, uh, literature, um, just lots of different aspects of the real human world. Um, and, um, yeah, it's, it's very, it's, it's creative. I'll, I'll give her that. Um, but, um, in regards to the plot, let's go ahead and, and get into that. The, um, the character Pyrene is the protagonist of the story. You're introduced to him. He knows that he's been in this house, um, for five years, but he doesn't remember anything before that. He has, um, a collection of journals and he writes down meticulously everything that he does, his experiences in the house. He wanders around, um, and he he's sort of presented as this character of um, innocence. Um, he he loves the house. He loves discovering new things. He finds joy in walking around each day and writing down what he sees in the statues, which seems incredibly boring. But um, every day, that's what he does. Um, and he'll go down to get food for himself uh, in the in the lower floor where the tides and the the oceanic creatures reside. Um, he'll fish. Um, and there's areas of the house that he's scared of, um, but he knows exactly when the tides are going to come and flood different areas of the house. Um, he has super sharp memory, but there's also another character that resides in the house. Well, there's besides besides Piranesi, he has only met this other person. That's true. Which is why this other person is called the other. Mm-hmm. Um, there are. 14, in addition to this, there are also 14 skeletons in the house. Um, so it starts out with, um, he also talks with the other about trying to get scientific plans throughout, trying to figure out what this house is about and exploring. And he will sh- often, uh, Piranesi will share his discoveries with the other in their um, meetings every week. Right. And, but we kind of discover pretty quickly that their intentions with the house are very different. Piranesi loves the house for the sake of the house itself. The other loves the house for what he can get out of it. And he is pursuing mm-hmm. this this thing called the secret knowledge. He's um, able to provide Piranesi, who he's basically taken upon as his servant, to assist him in the house to discover various scientific findings, uh, discover rooms, map out the tides, things like that for him. Um and he's able to almost conjure all these different resources that Piranesi has no idea where they come from, but the other helps Piranesi with these things like sleeping bags, matches. Um, uh, what are some of the other things he provides? Him Vitamins. With? Yes. Um, shoes. Because otherwise Piranesi has to um, find stuff for himself. Like he has to make get seaweed from yep. the lower levels of the house so that way he can have a fire. Yeah, Piranesi idolizes the other. He he, yes. uh, he thinks he's incredibly intelligent. Um, he's assisting him on this mission to discover the secret knowledge, which uh, the other believes that if he discovers it, he'll be able to have almost all kinds of superpowers. Um, 
uh, like being able to control mines and flying. Visibility. Visibility, yeah. Um, So those are the two main characters. Uh, We won't go too much farther, but basically the plot of the book is discovering why Piranesi is there um, because he loves the house. He's content with where he's at, but the reader can tell very quickly something's off with all the circumstances and we don't know exactly what. Um, In regards to appropriateness, um, the book, I'd say, is... It's tame for the most part. Um, There is a string or two of F-bombs, which are, in my opinion, completely unnecessary. It's so out of place. It is. Like... Piranesi does it, and it's like... He doesn't even seem like a character who would know that word. The entire entire time, I don't think he says any other expletive. Yeah. Except for one time, and it's just 10 F-bombs right in a row. It's like, was that necessary? Yeah. No. And then there's a, a smattering of, uh, you know, a, a couple other minor cuss words throughout there. And then there is one slightly mature sexual theme related to a character in regards to homosexuality and kidnappings and stuff. But it's kind of like if you blink, you'd miss it. Um, there's like one or two notes to it, but it's it's not it's not a major plot point at all. Um, so that's the appropriateness. Um, take that as you will. But Daniel, what would be your overall rating? Um, my overall rating I will start off with a quote from (laughs) the book, actually. And which is for all the grand intellectual manner and dark penetrating stare, he hasn't had an original thought in his head. All his ideas are secondhand. And I would say, are you referring to the author with that? I am completely (laughs) referring to the author with this. Um, As you have gathered from what I mentioned with the setting, Um, And then also from the characters, which we're going to go into a little bit more in a bit. It feels like it's just reused. Um, Now, granted for me, so my rating is five out of ten. I um, I enjoyed getting through it, but I probably will not read this again. Sure. Yeah. What about you, Judah? I'd say. I originally put a four out of 10, but I think I'll up it to a five, actually. Uh, the reason for that is I actually I, I think the author is a talented writer. I, I liked I like the I style. Um, she she writes in very engaging style, um, despite the fact that the first like 30 pages of the book was describing statues, um, which I found to get pretty repetitive, pretty fast. Um, yes. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I, I found the primary character likable at first. Um, but I, for me, the way a book concludes has a large effect on whether or not I like it. And the conclusion, um, you know, I, I, I read online with reviews that, Oh my gosh, the plot twists are incredible and blah, blah, blah. But there was nothing that was like, Oh, this is shocking. And partially that's because I didn't care about the characters enough to be shocked. Well, for me, I, I was expecting there to be more to the book afterwards. And there just, there just wasn't, it was, it was a, it was kind of a dim way to conclude without without giving spoilers. And at the end of the book, it was like, you know, there were some redemptive parts to it, but there was nothing about the story that I'm like, oh, this is going to stick with me. You know, the redemptive parts were me were the parts that were secondhand. Sure, exactly. Well, put. so I'd much rather read those books or look at that art than read this book again. Sure. So we're going to take a quick break then. Um, and we'll come back and provide all the spoilers that you need and dive in uh, even more deeply. So we'll be back in just a second.
welcome back um, as we get into the very, I like the spoilers. <laughs> um, no filter now. So we are going to be talking about the characters and how they develop uh, across the book. I'm going to start with not the main character, but I'm going to start with the other. Mm -hmm. And the magician's nephew, if you haven't read it, um, Diggory has an uncle, Andrew, and he's a magician. He sends Diggory on an errand because he doesn't want to go into a magical world. I had just finished reading this when I read Piranesi. And I came to this line from the book where it's in the journals describing the other, a.k.a. Valentine Andrew Caturley. But Uncle Andrew's last name is Caturley. <laughs> so this, the other in this book is... It's supposed to represent that character. Oh, completely represents right. Uncle Andrew. And I, I, I honestly don't find any real difference between Uncle Andrew and Valentine Caturley. Both of them are really um, kind to the main characters until they're like, because they're trying to get something out of them. Like it was a cool, oh, she mentioned Magician's Nephew. But beyond that, there really wasn't much to the other. Yeah. Would you, what would you say on that? Even the whole book, even once you discovered his other identity, um, it wasn't like, a, oh, this adds this whole new complexity to his character, right? It, was, it wasn't like a surprise. So basically, the undoing of Caturley is when Piranesi starts discovering that maybe not everything he says is true um, once he uh, discovers his journals and them not matching up. And he's on this journey to discover... The character. I was thinking of 16. Yeah, he's on this journey to discover the character 16. Caturley says this character is bad, but Piranesi slowly discovers that they aren't. And uh, that 16 is actually a policewoman who uh, managed to get into the world to try and rescue him. And um, mm -hmm. uh, eventually it all comes to this battle sort of thing. where Anticlimactic. Yeah, they try and escape and Caturley's shooting at them and then he gets killed by a tide. Piranesi go ba goes back to the real world and he has like uh, he has three he has three dimensions to his personality now though he he's like he's this new person who's gone back to the world he knows he's not Piranesi the guy from the house but he also doesn't think that he's Matthew Sorensen from before he came into the labyrinth so he's like he's just like has this split personality disorder and he still misses the world but um the world he came from the house uh so everything that happened just ruined him basically um but the author seems to be trying to say some interesting things in regards to the house, but they're kind of nonsensical. Your thoughts? <laughs> the entire book, Piranesi refers to it as the, the house. Mm -hmm. Caturley refers to it as a labyrinth. And also, you know, nicknaming um, Matthew as a Piranesi, the imaginary prison um thing you can tell that his mind is that it's a prison Piranesi views it as a good world that provides for his needs Caturley views it as a very negative world would what are your thoughts is it a good or a bad is the house a good or a bad world you know we never got to see what would happen um to Piranesi if he was left purely on his own in the world because the other was always there to support him I'm my theory is Piranesi would not have survived very long if uh, the other was not there to help him out with some of the uh, earthly resources he provided him with. 
but Piranesi seems to be far more resourceful than anyone else that has ever been in the house in regards to his uh, meticulous nature and um, fishing and things like that and recording of tides. He knows all that stuff. As to whether the house, I mean, Piranesi, I'll I'll say a quote real quick. He has this interesting statement at the end where um, he's talking with the police woman who is saying how everything from his world, this house, is just a mere symbol of what is true in the real earthly world, right? Like the things on earth are alive and they're better. Um, But he says, I do not see why you say I can only see a representation in this world. I said with some sharpness, the word only suggests a relationship of inferiority. You make it sound as if the statue was somehow inferior to the thing itself. I do not see that that is the case at all. I would argue that the statue is superior to the thing itself. The statue being perfect, eternal and not subject to decay. I thought that last part was interesting because, um, they certainly are subject to decay because the tides have destroyed some of the statues. Yeah. Um, but in addition to that, it, I, I it, it kind of made my mind jump to um, Aristotelian, or is it Platonic forms? Plato, Plato, yeah, I was thinking of that. Yeah, where it's like the, oh, this is the world where like the perfect resides. This is like on Earth, we have a mountain. Well, here we have a statue of a mountain and it's like, this is perfect. Um, but I think that's kind of a diluted sense. I don't know if that was the actual author's perspective. Like, I, I genuinely don't know in regards to that because it didn't it, seem like the book made a resounding declaration either way. It's hard because I think by the end of the book, you kind of walk away from the sense that Piranesi can't be trusted because he's not mentally stable. Right. Um. Obviously, he's more mentally stable than people think because he's actually been to this other world. But as Judah mentioned earlier... Like, he has split personality now. You know, someone who has forgotten his, most of his life, I don't know if you can trust him. And also, like, he says that the house is good, and, like, he he lives by that. He goes back to it. But I think, at the same time, it makes him forget. Like, he thinks it's so good because he's forgotten everything else. Right. And even the policewoman makes the point, like, she says, like, hey, look, like, even death still happened here. Like, the um, the other, who uh, somehow, almost miraculously, Piranesi still cares for after he's killed, she's like, the other was killed here. Like, this house is not just merciful, right? Like, the tides kill creatures, and it's not, it's not like a cruel house, necessarily. But the last quote of the book um, from Piranesi is, the beauty of the house is immeasurable, its kindness infinite. And that's a quote that's actually many times throughout the book. But yep. that's sort of Piranesi's idea is, like, Oh, I'm I'm now in this earthly world and there are people and they're they're you know they're wicked and they're not content. How can they be like that? He sees like a grandpa and he remembers a statue that reminded him of that. And he's like, Hey, in this other world, like you're a knight, is his thoughts. But it does seem like he's almost deluded. And I don't I don't know if the author's actual standpoint is like viewing the house as almost um I don't know, almost godlike in some sense, maybe. Pantheistic is the way that I would sure. um, descri- I would describe at least Piranesi's view of it is because he very much deifies the house because the house gives him what he needs, you know, whether it's the fish or the seaweed or brings the albatross to him, like the house is what is behind everything. And it's kind of for that exact reason that me and Daniel rate the book so low is just because at the end of the book, you have this person with the split personality disorder. If there is a point the author is trying to make, I think she's trying to express something. The idea of these forms or this world um, beyond ours is better, but it's also like, that's why we felt... So, 
it's so muddled on what the main point of the book is. Because you can't trust and, Piranesi. Yeah, exactly. So that's that's why we kind of just felt we felt confused. He writes um, in his journal that if he leaves the house, we'll have no inhabitant, and how will he bear of it? The thought of it being empty, like he worships the house as though it's it's the creature, but it's it's an inanimate object. Um, or is it? Or is it? <laughs> yeah. It makes him forget. It does. So here's here's a small theory. He almost. When he's with when he's with the other, he forgets everything that happened on Earth. So he thinks the other is good, right? And the other constantly checks to make sure he doesn't remember stuff. But he almost has this Stockholm syndrome with the other, right? Um, do you know what that is? No, I don't. So Stockholm syndrome is basically the idea that, like, um, let's say a person is kidnapped by someone. Um, if they're mm. with them long enough, they might eventually start liking the person and that makes sense. and not think they did yeah. something wrong. Is it perhaps true that? Um, uh, Piranesi himself has Stockholm syndrome like symptoms as it pertains to the house. Like he thinks the house can do no wrong, but like the house is not, it, it's, it's confusing. Cause in one sense it's inanimate, but in another sense, like it makes him forget everything. But like yeah. there are still natural disasters in this house. Like pain is still a thing there. Like it's not like, it's not like um, a Christian view of heaven or anything like that. People can do bad things. The other can bring him there and wipe his memory. I tend to lean that it was actually a labyrinth, not the house, not a house, because it completely remade whoever stayed there long enough. And yes, it made them more innocent, but it took away who they were. True. It made them a part of the labyrinth. And so that is why it's the labyrinth is ultimately bad. I know some people might say that that is why it would be a good thing, that it takes away all the negatives and it changes them completely into something else. Just attack on a little bit of a, a Christian thought at the end. You know, um, Christians believe that when, when uh, you know, we reach eternal life and we, we finally go to heaven, um, that not only non-believers, but Christians themselves are going to be granted new bodies and we'll have a, almost a new heavenly identity. But the interesting thing about Christianity is that your um, personality and yourself is not uh, is not um, utterly changed to something else. It's just remade. You're still yourself. You're more yourself. That's how C.S. Lewis puts it, right? On there. Yep, that is how C.S. Lewis puts it. And that's even even the idea with uh, the new creation, the new heavens and the new earth. Mm-hmm. God does not scrap the old. Um, he he makes it anew. He makes it what yeah. it was intended to be. Um, but. And, and, and for those reasons, we would say that the labyrinth is cruel because it removes your identity. So the, the writing style was good, but it had no clear point or ending. I was just unsatisfied with the ending, especially just because like, it would have been one thing if Piranesi went back and became Matthew and was with his family. But it's just like he's a different person. And there was a lot of character change that happened that just I felt went the wrong way. Mm-hmm. And I did not enjoy it, which is, again, wasn't a complete waste of time but I wouldn't reread it. Right. Yep. Well, that wraps up our podcast, guys. Uh, thanks for joining us for our first episode of Literature in Laws with uh, me and Daniel. Um, we look forward to catching you on the next podcast and uh, we hope you'll stick around. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.